We begin a sermon series today that is on the, the book of Job. Um, it is a powerful telling of a story. Let me read part of it to you as we begin this time from the, just the first verse of the first chapter and then we'll skip over to the second chapter, the first ten verses that are there. Listen to the word of God. A man in the land of Uz was named Job. That man was honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. And now in the second chapter. One day the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord. The adversary also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to the adversary, where have you come from? The adversary answered the Lord from wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the adversary, Have you thought about my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a man who is honest, who is of absolute integrity, who reveres God and avoids evil. He still holds on to his integrity, even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. The adversary responded to the Lord, skin for skin, people will give up everything they have in exchange for their lives. But stretch out your hand and strike his bones and flesh, then he will definitely curse you to your face. The Lord answered the adversary, there he is, within your power, only preserve his life. The adversary departed from the Lord's presence and struck Job with severe sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery to scratch himself and sat down on a mound of ashes. Job's wife said to him, Are you still clinging to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job said to her, You're talking like a foolish woman. Will we receive good from God, but not also receive bad? In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. The story of Job presents one of the Bible's most memorable characters. It was set in the land of Uz. I don't know where that is. I didn't say Oz. Of course, I don't know where Oz is either. But Oz is this mysterious place that scholars are still wondering where it might be. Most point their fingers on the map geographically somewhere east of the Jordan River. But who knows where Oz is? It's not defined by geography, at least any manuals that are definitive. But there Job lived, and he grew in importance in that community of us, and he grew in wealth, and his family was great in size. He had seven sons and three daughters. That's a pretty big family. And these were not all that he had. He had sheep galore. 7,000 sheep, the Bible says, and camels, 
3,000. He was enormously wealthy. A thousand oxen, 500 donkeys, servants to care for all of these and to take care of the household as well. He was a man who enjoyed his life. And his sons and daughters enjoyed their lives as well. In fact, just as he had become wealthy because of his wealth, they too had become wealthy. Those sons had large, palatial houses in which they would celebrate whenever given the opportunity. Somebody having a birthday? Let's have a party. I've been accused, we've been accused in our family of stretching birthdays out two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. When somebody has a birthday, we love to celebrate. These love to celebrate. In fact, I have a feeling that the parties would get so raucous at times that it would worry Job to some degree. In fact, he would pray for his sons and daughters because he was concerned of the way they might have represented themselves before God. Have you ever done that with your sons and daughters? Have you ever prayed thinking to yourself, Lord, help them, just help them, God, help them. They need your help. They need all the help that they can get. Job was pouring out his heart and, in fact, would offer these sacrifices in order that their lives would be cleansed before God. His prayers were very, very real. His life was amazing, quite beyond what you and I experience on a day-to-day basis. The story continues that there was this heavenly dialogue that ensued. The beings get together there from time to time, obviously, And as this story goes, God was there and saw the adversary, the Satan, the Satan, who was in the group of these divine beings. And God asked, where have you been? And everyone knows the answer to that. I've been roaming the earth. I'm getting in good with those folk down there. You know, Satan shows up every chance he gets. You remember the story of Jesus? When at the very beginning of his ministry, he just wanted to get away for a little quiet time in the desert. Who it was that he found there? But the devil himself, tempting him with everything that he had already in his mind set aside. But Satan always wants to make sure, make sure whose side we're on. This conversation with Satan, God just had to brag a little bit. He said, have you taken notice of my dear friend Job? And Satan, I can imagine, threw his hands up and said, oh, come on. He lives in a gated community. You take care of him in every way. There is nothing about his life that is at all anything but protected. Don't you think he would love you? And God was thinking to himself, that's worth a test. Satan said, give me the opportunity to get rid of some of this stuff he's got. And we'll see if he doesn't curse you to your face. 
God told him, but don't hurt him. Satan did everything that he could but hurt him. The first messenger that came as this drama begins to unfold said that terrorists had broken in on the edge of his property and those field workers that were out there with the oxen and the donkeys they were all killed they were wiped out before he had even finished his message to Job another messenger comes and this messenger says we don't know how it happened we don't know why it happened but there was this enormous fire that claimed all of your sheep. Now, I don't know how that happened. Maybe lightning struck and set the fields on fire and the sheep were trapped. But not only were the sheep killed, but the shepherds as well. 7,000 sheep and all of their shepherds. And as this report was coming in, another messenger comes in. And speaks to Job of the calamity that was happening with all that he owned. This messenger says an army has come up and captured all the camels that you own. Seeing that this is a very wealthy man with much to his name. He has carried the camels off and killed their caretakers. When the final messenger came to Job. He had to catch his breath. Because it was spoken so suddenly. A wind of such force came. It knocked the walls of your eldest son's house down. And I am sorry to report to you, Job, that every one of your children were in that house. And they all perished. When Job heard this, he was so filled with grief that he took his robe and he just tore it. He collapsed. I have no doubt he screamed in anguish at what he was hearing. He went into a time of ritualistic mourning. He shaved his head. He tossed ashes, I'm sure, on himself. And let the idea of all that he had lost settle in. Some of you have experienced pain in your lives. Some of you have experienced things that have gone on. Where the adversary was at work. And you could not answer the question. Why? Or how far this would go. But you knew that you were up against something that was formidable. Job did not sin. His response to this was incredible. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He did not say that flippantly. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. When the adversary returned to the Lord's side up in heaven... God had to brag a little bit more. I can just see him now, put his hands in his pockets, put his shoulders back. He said, 
How about my man, Job? How about my man, Job? And Satan again threw his hands up and said, listen, you know, some folk are pretty good. They can lose everything they got, but you just strike him in the flesh and see what happens. Because I guarantee you, once you hurt him individually, once it becomes about his life, he will curse you to your face. And God said, have at him, but do not kill him. Job was covered in sores. It went way beyond eczema. It was something akin to leprosy, maybe mixed with shingles. Some of you have experienced that horrific plague. It is unthinkable how Job had to deal with this. From the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head, he was covered with sores. Even his wife came to him and tried to talk sense into him. She said to him, why don't you just go ahead and curse God and get it over with? Sure, he may hit you with a bolt of lightning, but that's going to be better than what you've been going through. She was speaking out of her grief as well, wasn't she? She was saying, blame God. Everybody knows that's what's going on. And you've already figured this out. You figured out that one of the big issues here in this story is the problem of evil. It's the very nature of what this story is about. Oh, when you, you and I make reference to Job, we talk about the patience of Job. It's not about the patience of Job. This story is about the problem of evil in our world and how this stuff happens. And we ask ourselves, how involved is God in controlling these events? Does he have his hands directly on the course of my life? Or is he somehow peripherally connected? Did you find yourself asking those questions at all this week when word of what was going on in Oregon came to you? Or what about in Charleston? The horrific events that occurred. They're in a church in Charleston. Did that raise questions for you? What about when 9-11 happened? It's been years now. But do you still feel what you felt then? What was going on in your mind when these events occurred? It may be that you said to yourself, it is evil. It is just human evil that causes this stuff to happen we want to get have somebody to blame and so we point the finger so easily what do you do with Katrina what do you do with a hurricane that comes and wreaks havoc who's in charge of that the problem is called theodicy and Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas 
began to do their work around this issue of where is God in the mix. If God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-benevolent, if he's all-good, then how is it that this stuff happens? I don't know that they ever really figured it out. In fact, still that question resounds, why? And it really works out okay for us as long as we can keep it located at a distance. It's when bad things happen to us that the rubber meets the road. Because when we switch from why to why me, it gets personal. Job does have this integrity which is better than you and I do at times oh we'll hit our thumb with a hammer tell me what you say no don't tell me what you say <laughs> don't tell me what you say when you do that because you know how our integrity goes out the window when something even small happens You and I say things that are an affront to the presence of God. But we live in that. We allow that to be the regular part of our lives. Job does have this integrity. You and I tend to live within this naivete. Where we do not embrace the idea that really... Anything is going on of significance in regard to these issues of evil. Job has learned to live as a man of faith. Over in 1 Peter, there's an interesting passage because it almost seems like the writer of 1 Peter has, has been reading Job. This is what it said there. Be clear-headed. Keep alert. Your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Do so in the knowledge that your fellow believers are enduring the same suffering throughout the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, the one who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, empower, strengthen, and establish you. That sounds like Job to me. We begin this story that in the land of us, in the beginning, in the land of us, and so you know the arch for this, that at the end of this story, that there is going to be, they lived happily ever after. Even though you'd encounter all of this difficulty, that there is that sense in which God will take care. But the question today for us is, what do you do in the midst of the difficulties of your life? How is it that you live? Friends will come to visit. 
and they will have all kinds of advice for you. They will try to settle the basics with you. They will try to explain God and his ways. Let me share with you that there's going to be somebody else that's working in the midst of all of it. The Hasatan. The adversary will always be there. Because he is not going to be satisfied. As long as we are connected with the one with whom we are saved. Satan wishes to rob us of the very presence of God. But Jesus wishes to give us God. The beauty of this meal is an amazing thing because, first, all of us are invited. In fact, today as we celebrate this, there are congregations all around the world that are celebrating at the very same time. This is World Communion Sunday. And so there are congregations that do not normally celebrate on Sundays that are celebrating with us because they want to unite their hearts with us. But the beauty of this meal is that Christ has given his brokenness to us to remember. In fact, that in and of itself is our salvation. When we say Christ has died for us, that we might live, it is his brokenness that we are living into. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Friends, he has been there. Do you believe that? In that, in that message, there is hope for us that will draw us away from blaming God and being robbed of God's presence. I want to ask those that are assisting in communion to come up to the front at this time. And for us to unite our hearts together in this time of celebration.